Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest edition of Airing It Out, Files from Leahy's Broadcast Booth. Hi, everyone. John Leahy with you. Thanks so much for being with us on the podcast this week, as uh, I'm grateful for all our listeners every week. I want to thank my guests from last week, Ryan Johnston from 98.5 The Sports Hub. Uh, Ryan and I had a great conversation about the broadcasting industry and the fact that Ryan got to sit in on three Boston Bruins games uh, recently. So uh, that was a terrific uh, episode, and uh, if you haven't had a chance to check that one out, I uh, strongly encourage you to do so. And uh, I just wanted to give a quick update on uh, the uh, podcast today. Um, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I have a new website for the podcast, and I have a new web address uh, that you can go to to check it out. It's called LahyStorytelling.com. That's LahyStorytelling.com. It'll get you right to the podcast website. There's a lot of cool features on there. You can leave me a voice message. There's a purple microphone in the lower right-hand corner. You can leave a review. There's a, a, a star method. You can leave how many stars you want, and uh, also a uh, text review. Uh, I have a an, an area up there where you can check out some videos that I've done on YouTube. You can search for any episode you'd like. There's a search function there, so if you want to hear any uh, previous episodes, you can just do a quick search, and uh, it'll be pulled right up. And there's also a blog on there. I've made a couple of blog posts so far. So a lot of cool things. That's LahyStorytelling.com. It'll get you right to the podcast website. Well, today we've got a great guest lined up for you. I've been wanting to get this guy on the podcast for a long time. I'm glad I'm finally having the opportunity today. If you've been to a New England Patriots game at Gillette Stadium, you've heard this man, undoubtedly. He's the public address voice uh, for the Patriots, and he's also the radio voice of Providence College men's basketball. His name is John Rook. John, thanks so much for being here. I can't tell you how happy I am that you've uh, decided to join us today. Well, John, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. You sounds like you got a nice little enterprise going here, so it's a lot of fun, and I appreciate your your asking, and and happy to visit with you. Oh, it, it's great, John. Now I just got to make some money at it. That's the next thing, you know. Once <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, if you could figure out a good way to do that, please, please pass it along, and and I'll share the wealth with whomever else I come in contact with. All right, you and I will stay in close contact. That's for sure. Well, John, it's, John, it's going to be a, a great action-packed episode. Uh, you've been in the industry for quite some time, and, and I wanted to just uh, take a few moments just to talk a little bit about your background and all the great things you've done and, and also talk about what you're doing today. But uh, you got your roots down in Texas. Uh, you uh, graduated from uh, U Texas Austin back in 1981. I see you did some work for the San Antonio Spurs. So uh, tell us a little bit about the, the Texas upbringing and, and how the love of sports fit into it all. You know, it's kind of funny, John, but uh, I've actually been a New Englander now longer than I ever lived in Texas. Yeah, right. So I, I think I've officially earned my masshole card. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I kind of feel like that anyway, especially when I curse at the drivers who cut me off out on 495. Um, <laughs> I, you know, here's the thing. I, You know, I, I grew up, uh, you know, I think about as normally as anybody, really. You know, upper middle class, you know, upbringing, uh, you know, I went to a big 6A high school and in Fort Worth, uh, you know, I, I really kind of fell into what I've done for a career now for, for 45 years, uh, almost by accident, uh, largely because of an injury. I tore up my leg in, in um, uh, high school playing basketball, wow. and uh, I, I desperately wanted to um, stay you know, connected with my friends in school. I thought my life was over, you know, at age 16. Right. And, uh, and, and so the coach asked me at the time, he said, well, I don't have a trainer for this next year. He said, would you be willing to, you know, you know, come in and help us with, you know, wrapping knees and ankles. And, you know, you can also get treatment on your own, blah, blah, blah. And, and so I, I went to a couple of clinics and learned how to tape wrists and ankles and all that kind of stuff. And a, and a buddy of mine who was a year older than me in high school, I, he was a senior. I was a junior at the time. He thought that was, you know, fascinating that, you know, hey, I was willing to do something different in order to stay with my friends on the basketball team. So he did a story. He worked with a school newspaper. He did a story on me, you know, that, you know, I was doing all these different things now because I couldn't play anymore. Uh, I had um, make a long, longer story uh, a little bit shorter for you here. Uh, I had what was basically described at the time as a knee explosion. Wow. I, I tore all of the medial collaterals. Every single one of them were gone. Wow. And so uh, I, I, my career, like I said, literally was over at age 16. 
<clears throat> and so uh, a week after he did the story, the, the, the paper came out, and I was like big man on campus. I was the BMOC for a while. And I thought the whole process was fascinating. And is is I mean, uh, almost to the day, six months later, I was co-editor of the school newspaper without any inkling that that's what I wanted to get into. Wow. Six months after that, I won a scholarship, a journalism scholarship at the University of Texas at Austin. So that's how it literally started. I mean, and this is why I tell all of my, my college students and anybody who, you know, uh, is interested at all when we get into this kind of thing, uh, I said, look, you, you, you never know when one door closes how many other doors can and will open for you. And so literally it was a closed door to a mediocre at best basketball career that opened up a now 45, 46, 47 year career, you know, in journalism and broadcasting. And uh, so I, I obviously I think it, it turned out extraordinarily well uh, for me anyway. And uh, I'm, I'm thrilled that I can kind of pay it forward now since one of the things that I do now is, uh, is uh, teach college. Yeah, I definitely want to get into that uh, in a little bit. But, uh, you know, I noticed that uh, you did some work with the San Antonio Spurs. How, how did you uh, yeah. wind up getting involved with the Spurs? That, that uh, I was working, this was my first job out of school. I was working as the uh, TV sports director, anchor, 6 and 10 o'clock anchor at the NBC affiliate in Waco, Texas. That was my first job out of school. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got woken up one morning, you know, uh, at the you know crack of noon, uh, by uh, uh-huh. by a secretary on the other end of the phone who said, uh, is this John Rook? And I said, yes, it was. And she goes, could you please hold for Bob Bass? And I'm like, uh, sure, <laughs> without realizing who Bob Bass was. He was the general manager of the team at the time. Wow. Uh, and 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 he called me, and, and, and we got on the phone. We chit-chatted for a bit, and, and he said, you know, Johnny, I got, this, I got this job here that I think you'd be perfect for. And I'm not exaggerating on his accent, trust me. And uh, he says, I'd like for you to come down to San Antonio, and I'd like to talk to you about it. When can you get down here? Uh, Friday? (laughs) (laughs) And so I literally went into work that day without realizing what had happened. And so back, of course, in 1980, this was 1982, John, 1982. Yep. Um, we didn't have computers, obviously. So I went to my, you know, my library book rack of media guides that I kept, you know, that were uh, a staple for every sports office that, you know, uh, that, you know, uh, needed to do research at the time. And I found my Spurs media guide and I opened it up and, and I went through it and I said, God, is this guy really still the GM or is he really the GM of the Spurs? Did I imagine that? Did I dream that this morning in my, in my <laughs> okay. stupor? And I opened it up and sure enough, there he was. And I'm just like, Oh my God, I've got an interview with the Spurs on Friday. And so I wow. did, I took the day off from work and I went down and spoke to him. And it turns out that the guy who I had succeeded as the weekday sports guy uh, in Waco had taken a job uh, as a, a sports anchor in San Antonio. And he got uh, he was he the Spurs tried to hire him away, but he had just gotten there. Okay, and yeah. and so and so he said, you know, I just you know I, I couldn't take the job in good consciousness because I had just started working at was at the CBS affiliate in San Antonio. He said, but I know a guy who I think would be perfect for what it is you're looking for. All right, and so he gave mm-hmm. him my name, and so they called me, and that's how it started. And I spent my first year basically uh, almost the first year in the television truck learning the game and learning all the nuances and learning everything that was about television production uh, until I got a knock on the door in the TV truck, and it just so happened that we were playing the Portland Trailblazers that night, and um, it was uh, Wayne Witt, who was the, uh, the uh, PR director at the time, and he said, uh, Rookie, uh, you have a tie? And I'm like, uh, not with me, Wayne. Why? What's up? And he goes, well... Uh, I need you to grab a tie because you need to go on TV tonight. And I'm like, wow. what? <laughs> and the play-by-play announcer, uh, the TV play-by-play announcer, uh, had been jogging around the old Hemisphere Arena where the Spurs played and dropped of a heart attack. Wow. Wow. Yeah, this yeah. is a true story. Now, I'm happy to say he survived, mm-hmm. but I rushed back to my apartment. I grabbed a coat and a tie and literally – Within 15 minutes of my returning to the arena, uh, I was on the air uh, on Portland uh, Portland television doing wow. it, and I got through it so quickly that the Spurs 
realize that, uh, you know, maybe, you know, because hey, right place, right time, breaks happen for everybody in this business, as you well know, John. Yeah. Um, they moved me into the, the TV play-by-play booth mm-hmm. uh, because of that audition that I had there with uh, Portland. And that's how it kind of started. And I did that for two or three years until I um, – uh, left the Spurs because they decided to downsize, went to a simulcast, uh, and I hooked on then with the ABC affiliate in San Antonio mm-hmm. who had the contract to do the Spurs over-the-air television games, so I started doing Spurs games for them in addition to anchoring sports for them. So it turned out to, uh, pretty well all the way around. Wow, that's fantastic. Now, you made the transition from Texas. You came up here. Uh, what drew you to New England, and uh, how big of a culture change was it coming from Texas up here? Oh, the culture change was was huge. <laughs> but uh-huh. but uh, I had an agent at the time uh, who, uh, you know, supported me and got me my, uh, my uh, helped me get my job in San Antonio yep. at the TV station after I'd left the Spurs. That's when I decided to find an agent to see if I could get somebody to help me and mm-hmm. found one with the uh, William Morris Agency in New York at the time. And um, he said, look, he said, I realize that Providence is probably uh, more of a lateral move, and it really was at the time. It was slightly a bigger move, but since then, San Antonio has passed Providence in the uh, in the uh, market rankings. But he said, um, uh, the reason I'd like for you to consider this job is because you you know get back to doing more regular play-by-play, which is something I know that you want to do. Yeah. And so the idea was, was that I was going to come up and work for um, uh, WPRI in Providence, which I did do, right. uh, but I would also work for what was then uh, known as the Big East Television Network, Uh which is what Dave Gavitt started when he started the Big East, and Dave was still doing the games, and they needed another play-by-play voice at the time, Mm -hmm. and so that's what I came up originally to do. I took the job at Channel 12 in Providence, and then to go to work for Big East uh, Television, and then before the season came around, the radio job of the Friars came open. Yeah. And so I just figured on a whim, you know what, uh, it, I mean, the job wasn't even officially posted. It, this is how it really happened. And I saw a newspaper item in the uh, Providence Journal in, in, that the station was changing hands, or at least the, the contract was changing hands from one station to another. And, of course, knowing at that you know, time that, you know, I said, well, sometimes that does mean that the guys aren't coming back. Uh, Gary Cohen was my predecessor. He's now the, you know, uh, TV voice on uh, the Yes Network for uh, the Mets. Oh yeah, and right. uh, yeah. and he and he had only he had only had the Friar job for a year, and he was the voice of the Pawtucket Red Sox at the time, and um, I sent uh, you know I and and he had just he I mean he had literally like within a day of that article appearing in the newspaper that the station was changing the rights were changing he had just accepted a job to go to work with Bob the legendary Bob Murphy with the Mets oh yeah to do yeah. Mets radio yeah. And so um, I sent a tape anyway. I sent a, a cassette tape of the night that I called George Gervin's 25,000th NBA point. Yeah, the Iceman, right. right. Yeah, the Iceman. Yeah. And sure enough, they called me back a day later and said, we should talk. And so then I, I had to get in touch with Gary because I didn't want him to think that, you know, anything uh, amiss had happened, that I was stealing something from him. And, and uh, he was, you know, and obviously Gary went on to do St. John's, and now he's still the he's the radio voice of, you know, the Seton Hall Pirates in addition to doing the Mets now. So Gary's had a wonderful career, but um, I just it just kind of fell in the right place. They told me that they were going to make a change anyway because they wanted to hire someone of their own doing, and uh, they thought that the mix of me being on TV would be great cross-promotional, uh, you know, ability, capability for both broadcast entities, and it turned out okay for a year or two until – now, my bosses in TV land decided they didn't want to pay me as much money anymore, right. so they didn't right. give me any choice. And mm. as you know, that's how the business goes. But that's really how it kind of all came to came to pass. Well, I'll never forget the night that uh, I got a phone call asking me to fill in uh, for Maine, uh, the Maine basketball ball club, the Maine Black Bears. They were playing down at the mm-hmm. Dunkin' Donuts Center in Providence. And I don't know if you remember this, but uh, I do because it was the night before my birthday. They asked me to go down there and fill in on Maine radio. And uh, I, I was nervous because, you know, I'd never done basketball at that level before and uh, after figuring out the equipment getting it all set up uh, you know I, I got through the game and I remember talking to you after the game and, and you were so uh, you were so supporting and so encouraging uh, and uh, you know I'll never forget that so I, that's one cool thing I have on my resume doing a basketball game at the Dunkin Donuts Center which you do all the time 
Well, I, I remember that very well. And, and uh, you know, honestly, I would tell you and I would tell anybody who, you know, gets an opportunity to, you know, to do it is, you know, it, it's just calling a basketball game at that level is just like calling a game at any level. Right. I mean, and I've done right. it. I've done it in the NBA. I've done it, you know, in Division One. I've done it for Division Two. Division. I've done a JUCO, high school. I've done it at all the levels. Mm-hmm. And there's no difference. You know, if you treat everything as, you know, that game being the moment, then your audience is going to pick up on that, and you're going to do a service to you know the, the the kids and the coaches who are participating, or the students and the coaches who are participating in that game. You're going to do them the the proper service that you should be doing for that game. I mean, I realize not everything can be you know NBA Finals Game Seven, right. you know, uh, but at the same time. Put some heart and soul into it. You know, show people what you're made of. You know, do the due diligence, do the studying, do the, you know, learn how to pronounce and just call the game. Yeah. Just put blinders on and call the game. It doesn't matter what level. And if you just go into it realizing that, hey, it's still just the game and we're still putting the ball in the hoop and the team that puts the ball in the hoop more often than the other team is the team that wins, you're going to be just fine. And, and, and I've kind of subscribed to that theory my entire life and been very, very fortunate and lucky to be in a lot of the positions that I've been in, John. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I had this conversation with Ryan Johnston last week. You know, we, we, we get caught up in the thoughts before the game, you know, uh, as to how things are going to work out. But once the game starts, you settle in. And you know you've done it before. And it's you know, the same thing with me. You know, I, I'm a hockey guy. I've done hockey from high school, of course, up to Division One, which is what I do now. And I think we all have that uh, kind of feeling as broadcasters that, you know, there's that certain level of anxiety when you when you're before the game, like before the, the pregame show and all. But once that game starts if you if you love what you're doing it's going to shine through no question i think that's the key to it at all you've got to love what you do you've got to enjoy it you've got to be a fan now there's a difference between you know a fan and, and a professional doing that because frankly the fan doesn't realize to me anyway the fan doesn't really realize you know the hard work that goes into preparing i don't think anybody unless you're in the industry i don't think anybody realizes the the amount of preparation that a professional broadcaster needs to do yeah. in order to prepare him or herself to do a proper job. And frankly, I spend most of my time scaring the crap out of my college students <laughs> with that because they don't realize it either. And until they get here, they think it sounds cool. Oh, hey, this is really neat. Uh, I want to be a sports broadcaster when I grow up, right? You know, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And I'm like, great, then I, I share your passion. But you got to realize that, you know, just as in anything else in life, there's work that gets into it. Yep. Oh, you mean I got to work? <laughs> yeah, you kind of do. Yeah. And when they yeah. learn that, you know, that's kind of where you, it's kind of where you separate the wheat from the chaff. You know, absolutely. Uh, yeah. You, you learn who wants to do it, and you learn, you know, who can be adept at it, and and you want to help those that clearly look like they can help themselves. Absolutely. Well, I wanted to touch on your work with the Pawtucket Red Sox. Uh, you, you wound up in Pawtucket in 1992, which was uh, three years after you started the Providence job. I know you did some work on Nesson for the Paw Sox, but, you know, you talk about baseball, and, uh, I, again, I talked with Ryan about this last week, but it is a, it is a so much of a different animal, isn't it? It's a daily sport. It's a grind. You really have to uh, really love what you're doing to do baseball. So uh, if you could just touch on your Pawtucket talk at times well you know first of all and you know this as well as anybody there's no greater feeling i don't think in the in the sports broadcasting world than when you get to the ballpark for work every day oh yeah you see that big field that big emerald field you know that opens up before you and you get to you know you smell the clean cut grass and and, and you're hearing, and you're smelling the popcorn, you know, popping, you know, the concession stands, and 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 you're like, oh man, I get to go to work and I get paid for today. <laughs> yeah, right. Are you nuts? Right. And that's that's one of the most, that's one of the all-time great feelings ever. And um, I, I was the very, uh, I was the very first number two guy that the Paw Sox ever hired, because until I came along in '92, uh, they were strictly a one-man booth, and it had always been a one-man booth. Um, and then uh, I was I had just left my job at Channel 12, or they rather left me, um, and uh, I was you know looking for things to do and pick up. And I actually was very very close to leaving Providence at the time. I was uh, very close to I had a couple of job opportunities. I recall um, uh, one was in Boston, and I had another one potentially go back and move back home to Texas uh, to to go with that one. And uh, I mentioned it, I think, to 
I can't remember if it was Bill Wanless who's still with the Woo Sox now yeah, uh, as their yeah. PR guy. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, it, and I know, I can't remember if it was him or if it was somebody else. At any rate, word got to Ben Mondor, who obviously the late owner of the Paw Sox at the time. Yeah. And so he and Mike Tamburo uh, called me in and asked me if I'd be interested in doing some of the radio. And I said, well, sure. What, what, what's the deal? He said, well, you know, Jack Lefebvre was the radio guy at the time. And and we he said we've been thinking about trying to you know increase the listenership and try to expand our audience and and do some things here. So we thought you know since you were you know on TV here and blah 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 that you know that people might recognize your voice and this might give our our broadcast a little bit of a goose and our marketing efforts a little bit of a of a push. And uh, I said, what do you want me to do? And they said, well, we'd like for you to sit in and and you can do the broadcast. You can do color with Jack, and then he'll give you three innings of play by play to do. Yep. Uh, yep. For the home games, and so we did the home games to start out because I was a young single father at the time and I wanted to still make sure that I wasn't traveling away from my kids at the time but yeah. um, I did do some select road games and then they made the playoffs that year and I ended up going on the road with the team in the playoffs which turned out to be great but that's how it all started I mean and so um, they created the position and of course the Paw Sox as you know uh, have been uh, now Woo Sox have been uh, instrumental in starting the careers of of uh, broadcasters major league broadcasters left and right all up and down you know the 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 the, the roster really where they still have a lot of uh, you know Pawtucket alumni Don Orsillo is one of the most famous you know of their alumni you know and um I just I was flabbergasted at the the time that I got to spend there but I got to do 2 years on the radio and then they came to me and told me that they were going to do uh the, the as part of the Im- improved, um, I guess, marketing efforts that they were in and trying to, you know, broadcast and and, and try to get them known, uh, they had signed a deal with Nesson to carry, I don't know, fifteen, twenty games, whatever it was, on TV. Yeah. Um, yep. This was back in like ninety four. I want to say ninety four. It was the strike year. Strike here, ninety four. Right, That's right. how it started. Yep. And so yep. they were, in essence, looking for product. And so the Paw Sox got on TV uh, that way. That's how they started. And so I moved over from the radio booth to do television, and I could do no word of a lie, John. I could do twenty games on television for Nesson for the same money I could do my radio job for. Wow. And so I said, well, that's a no-brainer. I'm, mm. You know, I'll go do. You know, and that way I can I'd have time to market myself and go do other things. And that's literally how my career in New England started. I, I started. I like to tell everybody I'd been unemployed for about 18 years, but really <laughs> that wasn't it at all. I, I I learned how to outsource, and I learned how to be a full-time professional contract employee, and I did it for nearly two full decades mm-hmm. but that's how it started so i've moved over to nesson on tv and then of course my tv stuff on nesson allowed me to do their their sports desk show and i did you know some college football for them at the time and then i started doing some freelance radio and that's how i i got an opportunity to start working uh, in other tv markets i started freelancing in boston i started freelancing in new york uh, i began freelancing in hartford mm-hmm. i mean they were all uh, that's how the door opened right. but if it hadn't been for ben mondor and the Pawsock creating an opportunity for me to help them sort of expose their broadcast, I'm not sure where I would have been. I probably uh, I, I probably would have gone back to Texas, to be honest with you. Wow. Well, I wanted to talk about your time with the Patriots. You've been the PA voice uh, for the New England Patriots for how many years now, John? I will be starting year 31 this season. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, so, you know, those jobs aren't, aren't easy to come by. So uh, how did you get uh, affiliated with the Patriots? And uh, talk about uh, some of the great experiences you've had at uh, Gillette. Uh, of course, I know you got a few Super Bowl rings there, but uh, you know, tell us all about uh, how you got involved with the Pats. That's another story. You got time for it? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> we're storytellers here. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, hey. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's what we're doing. We're storytellers. And yeah. uh, the the story behind this one is is that um, I was um, – uh, this was during my, my in-between jobs time, right around the time that I started working for the Paw Sox, believe it or not. Wow. This was back in about 92, and uh, Chuck Wilson, the great Chuck Wilson, was doing the, the talk show, radio talk show uh, on WPRO in Providence uh, before he went off to ESPN full-time and – and was one of the first anchors ever of their radio network. And um, I uh, was looking for something to do at the time. And so the program directors, knowing that I was, you know, going to start with the Paw Sox and all that kind of stuff, uh, said, hey, you know, 
we'd really love it if you'd come out and sort of host Chuck's show to the audience. We were doing it at, um, oh gosh, it was the Biltmore Hotel. I don't even remember that. It was not, um, it was whatever restaurant they had at the Biltmore at the time, because that's where we were doing it. It was more of a sports bar where it was, the Biltmore in downtown Providence. So okay, yeah. yep. they said they'd pay me an appearance fee, and, and my job was to basically schmooze the, you know, the, the people in attendance and do giveaways and all that kind of stuff. And so I entertained the crowd while Chuck was you know, uh, you know, in commercial break. And it just so happens that night in the audience, there were three marketing executives of the Patriots who were in attendance. And after the show was over, they, they each came up to me as a group. They came up to the group and they introduced themselves. And they said, um, we really love the way that you engaged people. Wow. Great. I said, I'm like, well, I appreciate that. Thank you. And they said, um, nobody knows this yet, but um, our longtime public address announcer is retiring. And, uh, you know, and so uh, George Yusevich was the gentleman's name. And so George had been was going to retire. And they said, we're, we're going to hold an open audition uh, for a, uh, a new, pl- a new you know, public address announcement for the Patriots. We'd like for you to please come and audition. And I'm like, uh, OK, so just tell me what to do and when to do it. And so we did that. And um, I did a quarter of a preseason game. I think we, the Patriots played Kansas City of all teams. And I did a, a quarter of it, and they called me the next day after the audition, uh, and they said, we're going to hire you. And awesome. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. stunning. And yeah. so that's how it started, and I've been with the team now for 31 years. And I know, uh, did you have some interest in the radio job as well when it opened up? It went to Bob Sosi, and uh, Yeah, you know, I, I, yeah. I, I did talk to him about it. Yeah, I did. Uh, and I'll be honest, you know, um, I, I think it, it, it's quite – first of all, Bob is a wonderful – wonderful human being and a great yeah. play-by-play announcer. Yeah. And so it, it helps that when you don't get a gig, it helps to know that it goes to people who are deserving and on top of that are good people. So let me let me stress that first. I yeah. did speak to them about it. it. It didn't turn out to be the fit because they were looking for, I think, a particular fit with Scott Zolak mm-hmm. because they had already decided that he was going to be the guy. And so uh, for whatever reason, it didn't work out, but I, I told them that, you know, hey, whatever you guys want, if I can ever help you, you know, you don't. We know that we don't burn bridges and close doors in this industry, and so uh, uh, the door has been wide open. And it just so happens that the uh, gentlemen who were in charge of hiring that year uh, for uh, for ninety eight five uh, and for their their company both are now executives with Odyssey. Yeah, right. Which wow. Is, which is the yeah. owner? Which is the owner for Weei, who I still work for. <laughs> so it's a good thing. It's a good thing I didn't burn the bridge. Otherwise, <laughs> I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have that opportunity right now. So, right. so that's that's how it works out. But uh, yeah, I did talk to him briefly about it, and sure, I would have loved to have had the job. And I understand why they made the moves they did, and and I'm very happy to have the job I currently have. Yeah, and you're very good at it. We we had Bob on uh, quite a while ago, and uh, he was very gracious with his time as well. So. Bob is Bob. Bob and I also have a history together because we we uh, we we met each other when uh, he was doing AAA baseball and I was still doing uh, games on Nesson. Mm-hmm. And then of course he came and did the Paw Sox radio for a brief while as well. Oh, okay. Uh, All before right. he before he moved, just for I think it was for one part of a season, mm-hmm. and then he ended up going down to do the Norfolk Tides for uh, a few years before. While he was doing Navy football before he came up here, yeah. So, yeah. or at the time, I don't even know they were Norfolk. At the time they may have been the Tidewater Tides. I can't remember, but um, that's how we initially met each other. And then we also worked on several um, Patriot League television packages that were picked up by ESPNU. Okay, and wow. so uh, yeah. it, so he would do the play by play, and because I was local and I didn't mind doing it, I would come over and do his color because I had been familiar with some of these teams in the Northeast that he hadn't seen outside of Navy. So, you know, being more of a mid-Atlantic guy, and I had seen Holy Cross and Lehigh and some of these other teams play, and so I would come over and do a few games with him, and so that's how we met each other and how we got to know each other God, probably initially 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, Bob's an Auburn, New York guy, so we had a we had a great uh, conversation about uh, Auburn. I did a lot of mm-hmm. games out there with the Auburn Double mm-hmm. Days when they were in the uh, New York Penn League. So uh, you know, it's really a small world in a small industry. So it is a small world. I yeah. I came within I came within saying yes to I don't remember the gentleman's name who interviewed me of becoming assistant GM for the Auburn Double Days. Oh wow, uh, isn't that something? Yeah, this has probably been 
oh gosh, uh, early 90s, yeah, about, about that time that I was working with the Paw Sox. I was fascinated by the whole front office idea, and so I went to the baseball winter meetings and interviewed and, and all that kind of stuff, and I just I couldn't do it because it was too much of a pay cut, you know, yeah, being a single right, father. Right. I couldn't really do it, and you know, you know, those jobs don't pay anything, but uh, I, I wanted to give that an opportunity, and I would have kicked myself if I had never done it. But, yeah, I came within about a hair and a day of being the uh, assistant GM of the Auburn Double Day. Wow. So uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> We're talking with John Rook. He's the public address voice of the New England Patriots at Gillette Stadium. He's also the radio voice of Providence College men's basketball. You're listening to Airing It Out, files from Leahy's broadcast booth. Don't forget to check out our podcast website at LeahyStorytelling.com. John, I wanted to talk a little bit uh, to you about your teaching. Uh, I know you've had a lot of experience with it. You started at Emerson College uh, doing some teaching in 2006. You did that for a decade, and uh, you've moved on to Dean College now. So where did your love of teaching begin? You know, that's a great question. I, I, I uh, geez, John, I don't, <laughs> I, I suppose um, it, again, was in a fit of survival uh, in, in between opportunities uh, where I, you know, uh, remember thinking at the time, I said, you know, I've got all this wealth of knowledge. I've been around. I've learned how to sort of, you know, market myself and work for myself and become a, you know, sort of a, a sole proprietor, if you will. And so I thought, you know, one of the things that I could do to perhaps enhance that and uh, potentially pick up another gig was to just send my resume to some schools in the area uh, that might be looking for someone to teach, you know, either writing or broadcasting or whatever. Uh, and I sent, you know, a whole bunch of resumes out, probably. I want to say this is early 2000s. And then uh, out of the blue, I got a phone call from the acting department chair at Emerson uh, who said, uh, you know, basically said, um, are you still interested in teaching? And I'm, I was, first of all, I had forgotten I had sent them a resume, but I, my answer to that, of course, is yes. Yeah. I'd love to teach. What do you have? And and so she proceeded to explain to me what the opportunity was and that what one of the things that they had had a real demand for that they had not yet really addressed was uh, their students really wanted to learn more about sports and sports reporting mm-hmm. and sports broadcasting. Yep. And so that's how the opportunity came up. I got hired as an adjunct instructor for sports reporting. Uh, really sports journalism uh, at Emerson, and I spent 10 years teaching that course at Emerson. Uh, And then Dean called, um, actually, Dean called after I had a conversation uh, with uh, some of the execs of the Patriots that I had worked with already for a number of years. And I remember seeing a news uh, news release uh, in the media, uh, which basically promoted uh, this academic partnership between the Patriots, Kraft Sports and Entertainment, which is the obviously the company conglomerate that owns the team, and uh, and Dean College. And I said, so I remember asking the vice president of sales, uh, who whose name is Murray Cole. I asked Murray during one of our you know uh, you know chance meetings you know at Gillette. I said, what's this? deal that you guys got going on with Dean. And he started telling me about it and he stops and he goes, you'd be good for that. All and right. I'm like, I'd be good for what? <laughs> I, I really <laughs> didn't know what it was. And so he told me what they thought it would be. And so within a week, I had an interview with the president of Dean College, uh, Dr. Paula Rooney, who's just announced her retirement. And um, she's been a dean for 27 years. And so they described to me what it was they're looking for. And uh, I thought that I could help them, especially since they had a burgeoning communications department. And they were uh, looking to grow that as well. It couldn't have been a better fit, John. It really couldn't have been. Right. And so when I came on a dean, they didn't even have a bachelor's degree in communications. It was an associate's degree. Because as you're probably familiar, uh, Dean until 1994 was a junior college. Oh, yeah. And yeah. then in, 19, in 1994, it became a full four-year institution, dropped the junior from its name. And so it's been Dean College now for you know almost 30 years. And, um, and they still offer some associate's degrees here, but one thing that they really thought was in their long-term best interest was to become a full four-year school, which they've done, you know, both academically and even athletically, and um, you know, joining uh, Division Three. So um, I, you know, 
suggested to them, I said, you know, one of the things that you probably should do is take your communications degree, you know, to a four-year deal. And they said, well, would you help us do that? And I'm like, is the Pope Catholic? Sure. <laughs> Be happy to do that. And so I looked and finally found an opportunity where I could actually build something and grow something that I really didn't have a chance to do while I was at Emerson. I love my time at Emerson. People in Emerson are great. They've got some extraordinarily talented people, you know, not only only in the faculty, but uh, certainly, um, you know, within their student body. But I, I wanted a chance to sort of carve my own niche, as a lot of people do in this industry, and I couldn't have found a better opportunity than a dean. I've been here for seven years as their uh, director of their uh, Center for Business, Entertainment, and Sport Management, and that job largely is to create um, academic partnerships with professional entities to give our students here uh, not only the opportunity to potentially intern uh, uh, with these, you know, businesses, but also invite these professionals into our classrooms to teach our students and give them practical, hands-on, roll-up-your-sleeves type of um, experience. Uh, and uh, it's been very successful. We've got, oh gosh, over a dozen partners that we work with now. When uh, you know the Patriots and the Revolution were really the first two that came aboard, and part of my job has been to expand that. And so that's kind of what we work on now, and what I do now, in addition to all of my my full-time teaching schedule here as a communications professor, we launched a, um, a, a Bachelor of Arts in Sports Broadcasting degree. Awesome. And and so we've started that, and I'm proud to say we're the smallest school in the country that offers uh, a degree of that type. And part of that is because I kind of oversee the program, and I've got the time and the due diligence in order to be able to do that. And so we can offer on a small school level, what you know, schools like Syracuse and Northwestern and Missouri, uh, and Arizona State and Florida State and some of the bigger schools around the country, what they can offer uh, largely um, at a at a larger level. Even Marist, Marist, I know has their their sports journalism center, uh, which is is well known, and um, we can be very competitive with that because we've only got 1,200 students here. But we've got our own campus radio station. We've got our own digital media arts center, television studio. Um, plus all the internship opportunities that we have with professional, not only teams, but radio stations, television stations. Uh, and, and, of course, as you well know, in this digital age, John, everybody, every business and almost every uh, walk of life has a need for some kind of digital media expert yep. because websites need digital content. They need podcasts. They need video. They need all this stuff. And so we train our graduates, and we built our communications program here where you can get a four-year degree in, in communication sciences, and you can get a four-year degree here in sports broadcasting if that's what you choose to do. And um, we've kind of made them interchangeable to where if you come here, you learn to do everything, so you're equipped to do everything when you graduate because that's the kind of person that gets hired today, as you well know, in this industry. Somebody can do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, you know, jack of all trades. Uh, and then hopefully at some point in time, you get a chance to become a master of one somewhere on down the line. So that's kind of what we do here. That's been our goal here. And we continue to grow this program, and it's been very successful this far. Well, that's great. Uh, and I'm, I'm curious, did, does Robert Kraft have, have any involvement with, with what you're doing there? I know that you're closely involved with the Patriots. Um, was there any connection there between he and you as you got this going? Oh, sure. And, and uh, um, you know, he's coming and, had, and he's been a speaker, and Jonathan's been a speaker, you know, for us from time to time when we have, you know, major events to hold. Um, uh, you know, we try not to lean on him too much because he obviously is, you know, man's 80 years old and he's got other things on his mind. He's got yeah. other issues like running a, uh, you know, an NFL team on his, you know, on his mind as well as a multi-billion-dollar, you know, a paper company. But at the same time, uh, you know, Mr. Kraft has been extraordinarily um, uh, helpful in helping us, you know, sort of develop this. And then our partnership with the Patriots, the Patriots have really done a superb job in allowing us you know, uh, um, a, a marketing arm, if you will. So we use some of their marketing strength uh, to help promote our program and get it out there. And so, you know, if you drive up and down Route 1 outside the the, uh, the stadium, we've got a big billboard up out there that, you know, talks about what we do and, and, and how we do it. And we're included in all of their in-stadium promotions and things along those lines. So it's a, it's a tremendous opportunity for a small school to get known on a major professional level. And we are, we were the very first school in the country to have a, a, um, an academic partnership with a national football league team. There are, I believe now 10 
such partnerships uh, in around the NFL and the academia, academic world. But we were the first to get it started and to, to go to the lengths that we've gone to uh, with it. And the Patriots have been extraordinarily uh, supportive uh, along the way because, you know, I think they realize, um, you know, what our mission is and what their mission is. And, hey, they, they you know, we have interns over there every semester and they want to end up, you know, being able to have a hand in hiring their eventual, you know, uh, employees. And they thought it would be a great fit, especially since we're close to them in proximity. And so that's kind of how the whole thing got started. Great stuff. Well, before I let you go, John, I got to ask you about uh, your work as an independent broadcast contractor. You've been doing that for quite some time, uh, since 1991. You do voiceover work and other professional voice services uh, for, I guess, individuals and companies. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, and, and also please feel free to promote that as well. Well, I, I appreciate your asking. I, you know, I haven't had as much time to work in, in that kind of realm just because of my, my full-time job at, at Dean, but... Um, you know, uh, one of the things that I've, I've loved to do is uh, is to do you know commercial work, and so uh, I will still seek it out from time to time if I have the opportunity, or if someone contacts me and says, "Hey, I've been thinking about uh, you know you know doing a campaign, you know yada yada, and I need somebody that's upbeat and energetic and what have you, and would you you know you know be willing to take it on?" And so, sure, I do that. I do some. I still do some imaging. Uh, to this day for the revolution, just because I don't, you know, I did the revolution public address for 20 years and I had to give that job up a couple of years ago. So um, Mike Riley is, you know, is uh, Sarge on 98.5, you know, they gave the job to him and, and Mike's such a good kid. And he's very energetic, enthusiastic about it. So it was good to see the, you know, the gig go to someone who is so deserving like that. But uh, yeah. I still do a lot of their radio imaging for them, and um, and in just because I'm around the stadium so often, I'm sure it makes it easy. But um, you know, I'll do that, and I'll you know pick up an occasional uh, you know speaking gig every now and now and then um, for uh, for uh, you know groups, entities, uh, you know Kiwanis's, Lions clubs, things along those lines. Uh, you know, to talk about uh, not only the business and, you know, the teams that I work for, but, you know, things like leadership and, you know, opportunity and, you know, the general, you know, like a mini TED talk, if you will. And then um, uh, then I will go and speak to other schools. I do a lot and, you know, do a lot of recruiting for Dean as well, because as a, you know, small private school, you know, recruiting is our lifeblood, just like it is for, you know, private schools, obviously, oh, yeah. you know, the yep. athletic teams. And so I do a lot of that for them as well. And then um, uh, it's just uh, part of the routine. I just kind of shovel it all in as, as, well, I, as well as I can and, and fit in whatever I can, John, to, uh, you know, kind of continue to keep, you know, not only the name out there, but the brand involved. And uh, like I said, I don't do as much of that as uh, as I did before I started at Dean because that was a part of my, you know, my year-round working for myself. I had, you know, li- literally seven, eight, nine, ten clients uh, that I would work for at various points in the year, but it was enough to keep me going, you know, 12 months out of the year. And uh, until I, um, you know, began working full-time at Dean in 2015. And so that ended the uh, the run of nearly 20 years from about 1998 to 2015. So that was about 17, 18 years uh, that I like to tell people that I was uh, unemployed just because of, uh, you know, you know, I, I work for myself because I had all these different clients that kept you know, asking me, hey, can you do this or would you be willing to do that? And, of course, I would never tell anybody no. Uh, you just you learn very quickly not to say no in this business, and yeah, then yeah. you know, and then you you know get out your date book and you start filling in calendar dates. And well, I can't do you on this day, but I can do you on this date. And you know, you just you make it work. And that's you know, so you you learn how to become multidimensional. You learn how to you know be um, you know a multitasker. I mean, I didn't even know what the term multitasker what meant until I was already doing it. Right. Right. You know, but that's what you do to make ends meet in this business. And so that's kind of where it was. And, and it's led me into, you know, I would tell you that, you know, the teaching gig that I have now is one of the best gigs I've ever had. And I really enjoy the uh, the rewarding nature of being able to teach the next generation of, you know, broadcasters and writers and communicators, you know, how to do things, you know, how we believe to do things the right way. And not only the right way, but the successful way. What is it going to take to get you hired? And this is what this is what hiring people are looking for, you know. And so, that's been very rewarding. I just had a, a young man, a student of mine, who graduated in December. He's been hired as the play-by-play uh, voice of the Peoria Chiefs, which is uh, the Cardinals' uh, uh, Class A team out in Peoria, Illinois. Yeah. Uh, I've had uh, you know students. Uh, I've got three kids working in the Cape Cod League this sem- uh, this summer. 
Uh, I've got two more, three more working in the Futures League. Uh, and I've got another one who's gone out to Palm Springs, California to work in the California Summer League. So, you know, the, the, you know Dean kids are getting out there and, and they're getting experience and they're working hard and hopefully they can realize their dreams just like so many of us uh, have tried to do ourselves. Great stuff. John, where can people follow you? I know you have uh, a blog, Thinking Out Loud. You're also doing work for uh, Patriots.com as a writer. I know writing is a, a big thing for you. So uh, a little bit maybe about where people can, uh, can uh, keep up with you and follow you. Well, I, thanks, Johnny. I, the, the column that I do every week for is on weei.com, and then um, I usually uh, I do that, and then uh, you know the uh, the Patriots work that I do also includes a, during the off season I do a, uh, a live radio show, but it turns out to be a podcast as well uh, monthly during the off season. Then we do it weekly during the um, uh, during the football season or the NFL season. So that's on Patriots.com and what they call Patriots.com radio. So continue to do that. And I've been doing that for. 21, 22 years now. So uh, we were in at the very beginning of that, you know, when, when audio streaming became, um, you know, uh, really came into existence, you know, a little over 20 years ago. Uh, and so we do that. And then um, I do the column, as you said, and I'd love to be able to write more. I just flat out don't have the time to do it, but <laughs> I love to do it. Uh, it's just kind of the way it goes. But I think blogs are a great way and columns are a great way to uh, sort of, you know, stay in contact and, and, and not only with people who read you and follow you, but also to get some great ideas on things that you might have missed because there's so much stuff out there. There's no way that anybody can keep up with every little bit of information that's out there. This is one way to kind of stay connected, you know, with an audience. And one of the things that we actually teach our students here is that, you know, hey, you've got to understand who your students are. You got to understand who your readership is and who your audience potentially is, and you got to give your audience what your audience is clamoring for. So you've got to sort of, you know, find a niche that you can work yourself into. You know what they want, then you got to deliver it. And if you deliver it on a regular basis, then that's what we try to do. Uh, and then, um, really, I'm, I'm I'm fairly active on uh, on Twitter as well. So you know, the Twitter handle is at JR Broadcaster. If anybody cares to follow along, I, I mean, I you know tweet a lot about. Football and college basketball. Those are my two big sports, and obviously all the Boston sports because I'm just I'm a fan like everybody else. But you know, um, you know, those are the two big you know passions that I still have as a as a fan and as a broadcaster. So you probably find me doing a lot of that stuff in particular. Yeah, we got to get you into hockey now so you can do some games with Mike <laughs> with uh, Mike well, Logan. You know, who's a, another I, Providence legend. Yeah, you know, Mike is such a good guy. I've known Mike for almost 30 years myself. And yeah. and uh, funny you should say hockey because, you know, my oldest son played hockey, John. Mm -hmm. He played hockey for a number of years until he, you know, decided that he was going to give up the sports realm. But my youngest son, who was a baseball player in school and in high school, and I actually coached him in AAU baseball for a number of years. I spent 20 years as a baseball coach. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he, My youngest son is, is the play-by-play -play voice of the Providence Bruins. Yes, I remember Austin, right? I remember, uh, yeah. I remember yeah. hearing about that. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, and I mean, I was floored when he told me he was going to do that because yeah, that was like I, I would never have figured him for that. But <laughs> he, you know, he followed his passion and he really wanted to do it, and and he was in the right place at the right time, and you know, he had already been working for them as an account executive, and and um, uh, they said, hey, we had another job here that we think you'd really. Uh, we got another job here that we think you'd be a perfect fit for. You know, how'd you like to be our play-by-play -play voice? And he's, you know, like, uh, <laughs> well, you know, it's falling all over himself for that opportunity. But he didn't, you know, he didn't shy away from it. He embraced it. He embraced it, and he does a pretty good job with it. Great yeah, stuff. so that's how it all that's all happened. So I do have a hockey connection. I do follow <laughs> yeah. the Bruins and their and their their lower level uh, uh, quite a bit just because of my son's involvement. Great stuff. Hey, uh, one last thing as well. Uh, Tampa Bay, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were here this past uh, season. What was that experience like having Brady come back? Real quick. Weird, just weird, <laughs> yeah. eerie. <laughs> Yeah. It was just it was just bizarre. I kept feeling like I was in a TV episode of the old Twilight Zone show, you know, <laughs> you know, Tom Brady, you know, who we, you know, uh, fell in love with and rightfully so. And, and now he's here, you know, flinging it for another team. It was just bizarre. Absolutely. But I, I'm, I'm like so many other people, John. I root for laundry. Right. I mean, it's great, you know, when individuals, you know, go on and have success when they move on. But when they move on and they're rooting and they're playing against my team mm -hmm. and my team's colors, I'm sorry. I, I don't have much time for you. I want yeah. my team to still win. Right. And so I root right. for laundry. And I think there are a lot of people that are like that. 
I think Tom Brady is one of the exceptions to the rule because I think there are a lot of people that love Tom Brady because of what he delivered. Yeah. But let's also yeah. remember that Tom didn't do it by himself. Right. Right. And if you if you love Tom Brady because well we wouldn't have had seven six Super Bowls around here if it weren't for Tom Brady that's bull. Right. That's absolute right. bull, and that's doing a disservice to every other player that came through here during that you know during that uh, that dynastic era. And so I'm very grateful for Tom because there's no question he's extraordinary, and he'll go down as the greatest to have ever played the game at his position. But he wasn't the only one that was responsible for that. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, John, we're we're looking forward to the upcoming Patriots season. Uh, I, I can't thank you enough for being here today. Boy, what a great show! What a great episode! I knew it was going to be great even before we even uttered one word. Uh, you and I have known each other for a while, and uh, and you've been a great friend. And and I appreciate uh, all you do. And and again, your willingness to come on. Our audience is going to love it. And uh, again, thanks so much for being here. John, it's my pleasure. I'm happy to help you out any time. It's, it's good to be with you, and it's great to see you doing this stuff. This is awesome, and I'm uh, happy to be part of it. Thanks, John. We appreciate it. All right, we invite you to be with us again next week. We'll have another episode. We uh, record on Tuesdays. We publish on Wednesdays. Check out the podcast website once again at LahyStorytelling.com, and that'll give you a pretty good idea of what we do here. So thanks to my special guest, John Rook. I'm John Leahy. You've been listening to Airing It Out Files from Leahy's broadcast booth, and we'll talk to you next week. Mitochondrial disease is a rare multi-symptom disease characterized by breakdowns in the mitochondria, which are specialized compartments that are present in every cell of the body except red blood cells and are responsible for creating more than 90% of the energy needed by the body to sustain life and support growth. A disease most commonly associated with children, currently there is no cure, just management of symptoms. Hugs for Mito Inc. is mitochondrial disease. Rare disease advocacy, awareness, fundraising for research trials, and hopefully a cure. To learn more, please visit hugsformito.org.